Welcome to the St. Matthew's Episcopal Church Worship Podcast. My name is Maggie Nancaro, and I am the Assistant Priest for Children, Youth, and Intergenerational Formation at St. Matthew's. St. Matt's is a neighborhood church with a worldwide community in St. Paul, Minnesota. This coming Sunday is October 31st, 2021. Happy Halloween, friends. Our texts this week come from Mark chapter 12 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can find the texts on lectionarypage.net or at a link in the show notes. I will read the gospel for us, but I will also discuss the Deuteronomy text a little bit. So if you'd like to pause this and read that, you're welcome to do so now. I'd like to start us off with a prayer. This is the Collect for Proper 26, a prayer that all Episcopal churches will say together on this coming Sunday. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, it is only by your gift that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service. Grant that we may run without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promises. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. This is the Gospel according to Mark. One of the scribes came near and heard the Sadducees disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, What commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is this, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other and that to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any question. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother of us all. Amen. Jesus is teaching in the temple, in a charged and adversarial space, where the religious elites have started a rapid-fire, catch-him-in-his-blasphemy debate that is intended to give them reason to arrest him. In our liturgical year, we are pretty far away from Palm Sunday and Easter, But this moment in Mark's gospel falls in that crucial week. Jesus has processed into Jerusalem and gone straight into the temple, where his first act was to overthrow the tables of the money changers, attracting considerable negative attention. Now he's back, and the Pharisees, chief priests, and Sadducees are sparring with him. Mark notes several times in the exchanges that lead up to this moment we just heard that there are plots to kill him. It is in this combative atmosphere that an unnamed scribe, another of these elites, 
approaches Jesus and asks him an important question. Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus replies with the Shema, the central and most important prayer that all Jews ground their faith in. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This prayer is passed down in Deuteronomy, and specific instructions are given about how to recite and keep these words. He grounds himself in this central teaching and then adds to it with a commandment from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What is so interesting to me about this exchange in this particular moment is that this scribe gets it. And this scribe takes the teaching one step further. He says, you're right. And love is more important than everything we do in this place, the center of our holy story. This is an astounding thing to say in the center of this debate. It is an adversarial moment. And the one that we would presume to be an adversary is instead someone who truly understands. Jesus replies, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then everyone is so dumbfounded that they stop asking questions. There are two incredibly important lessons about the gospel way in this moment that I think are just for us. First, the bad guys are never as one-sided as we think. In the gospel way, even the scribes, even the centurions, even the tax collectors can grasp the truth. We cannot evaluate anyone based on who or what they are, only on how willing they are to live out the good news. Second, we are to remember that this good news is first and foremost about love. To live out the good news, we are to live out love of God and love of neighbor and love of self. All the trappings of religion, all of our own burnt offerings and sacrifices, are not as important as the choice to love. Now this does not mean that what we do in church is not important, but it does mean that if what we do as a faith community does not show that we love God or that we love our neighbors and that we recognize our own belovedness before God, if we cannot do that, then our foundation is shaken. The same applies to our own daily lives. To walk the way of Jesus is to walk in love into our workplaces, our schools, our families, the places where we travel, even the grocery stores where we shop. As our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, says, if it's not about love, it's not about God. Of course, those can be powerful words that stir up hope. But many of us might wonder what it actually means in concrete and real terms. And that's where I'd like to focus some time today. I think most of us are comfortable with the concreteness of loving our neighbors. We know what that looks like, even when we fail at it. We know that we are to be ever-expanding our definition of neighbor, from our actual neighbors down the hall who annoy us, to our beloved neighbors that our children play with, to our political or ideological neighbors, 
or our political and ideological enemies. I don't think there's anyone in this faith community who is not working hard to expand their understanding of love of neighbor. I also think that most of us understand on a cognitive level that if we do not recognize our own belovedness in God's eyes, if we cannot love ourselves, then we aren't going to be very good at loving our neighbors either. This too can feel a little bit more concrete, even if the difference between love of self and selfishness requires constant reconsideration. Unfortunately, that is an entirely different sermon, which I cannot preach now, but look forward to preaching in the future. What I find the least concrete is this business about loving God. How can we understand this in a more understandable way? To be honest, our religion and our spiritual ancestors have been trying to interpret what this means for thousands and thousands of years, and one sermon cannot even begin to scratch the surface. What I can offer you, though, are a few examples that can be starting points for how you want to think about this. Perhaps we should start with the most obvious things, things that we associate with religion and faith. Prayer and worship are ways in which we express our love to God. When we engage in practices like communion or reading scripture and chewing on it, praying, offering our music, then we are responding to God with love by offering ourselves up to God. There are some historical mystics like Rumi or Teresa of Avila and many more who loved God in this heart-centered way. They wrote poetry and dreamed dreams and lived in prayer and meditation to seek connection with the divine oneness. This can be a concrete example of loving God with your heart. But we do not have to show love of God just through our religiosity. If we are to engage our minds, perhaps we could start with our own God-given curiosity. What sparks your imagination about the world around you? Do you wonder how the human mind works, how stars are born and how they die, how ecosystems fit together on our planet? When we feel a sense of awe and wonder at the vastness and wildness of the created universe, we have an opportunity to express our love of God. The Psalms often intone how wonderful it is that God made the universe this way. How can one not love the God that carved the Grand Canyon over millions of years, rose mountains from the depths, came up with black holes, and crafted life from the building blocks of stars. When we seek knowledge for the sake of joy and delighting in the framework of the universe, scientific and intellectual pursuits, then we are loving God with our minds. Likewise, when we treat the creation with care, engaging in practices that minimize human impact on our own ecosystems, advocate for a less damaging relationship between us and the created world, then we are loving God by loving God's creation. Perhaps we might engage our strength 
And perhaps this means that we are to invest our strength and our courage into showing up for God's story of redemption and resurrection in a world that is often hostile to such things. When we engage our mental and physical strength to choose life when death is all around, we are loving God with all our strength. Finally, there is one real concrete example that blends all of these things together into one important unit. And that is this. When we recognize in the Christian faith that we are all made in the image of God, and when we recognize in our baptismal covenant that we promise to seek and serve Christ in everyone we meet, this means that we recognize the face of God in one another and within our own selves. When we practice love towards ourselves and to others, we are also practicing the love of God. So if you take nothing else away from this complicated sermon, I hope that this is what you remember. In the silence that follows, and in the week to come, I invite you to think about what ways of loving God most resonate with you. In the coming week, how do you intend to show your love of God in your daily life? Amen. As we close our time of reflection and wondering, I invite you into a time of prayer and intercession. I ask your prayers for all that you are grateful for this week. What blessings has God given you that you are thankful for? I ask your prayers for anyone in your life who is sick, struggling, or in pain. I invite you to name them and remember them before God now. I ask your prayers for the poor, the hungry, the lonely, and all those in places near and far who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Are there any people or countries you wish to pray for? I ask your prayers for this earth, its ecosystems and creatures, and all life that surrounds and holds us. What prayers for the earth do you want to share today? Most loving and merciful God, I pray that you hear and hold the prayers of your people this day. Come alongside us and give us a sure sense of your companionship that we may live as you call us to live and rest in the assurance of your grace. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I look forward to sharing time with you in the future 
and seeing you when we can. In the meantime, I will leave you with this blessing to hold you in the coming week. May the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and Mother of us all, be with you now and remain with you always. Amen. Amen. 